0: You're listening to The Corbett Report, corbettreport.com. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends, one and all, welcome to the program. But uh, I hope you've got a chair pulled up and you're ready for a conversation because I think it's time that you and I had a little talk. And if that sounds a bit ominous, let me start off today's potentially, well, it shouldn't be a controversial topic, but let's, let me start off today's program by assuring people once again just how important the alternative independent grassroots media is in informing people about what's really going on cutting through the lies and disinformation that's put out there in the mainstream media paradigm that unfortunately a lot of the zombies in the crowd are still uh, tuned into. And again, I use even that term zombies loosely because, of course, everyone is a human being, everyone can be reached out to, and people can break their conditioning and break their paradigm. So just as I would have been referred to as a zombie by a lot of people just a few short years ago, I think uh, i really hesitate to call other people uh, sheeple or any of those uh, really disparaging terms just because they haven't woken up to the alternative media paradigm yet. But having said that, tonight I think we should have a conversation about truth, lies, disinformation, misinformation, hoaxes, hype, and the alternative media, and how unfortunately the alternative media can be, in some cases, just as guilty as the mainstream media in pushing well, at the very least, faulty information. And this is a problem as it is in every form of media. I don't think anyone on the planet is immune to this because as far as I know, we are all human beings and we are all prone at the very least to getting things wrong for all manner of reasons, even the best-intentioned intention re- best intentioned reasons. So, for example, we all have cognitive biases that make us well, gravitate towards, for example, news stories that tend to confirm things that we already believe. We also have in ourselves a deep-seated desire to, of course, avoid uh, pain and and conflict and and things that we're not looking forward to, and that makes us actually look for stories that seem to play into an end-of-the-world script that plays on those very fears. So before we get too too much into the uh, the abstract world of what's behind all of this and the reasons for this let's let's just create a little thought experiment and I'm going to create for you in the next minute or two just an idea for anyone out there who wants to create a viral video that will go around the world and get played on all the uh, usual alternative media outlets almost instantly and uh that unfortunately is an indictment but just in this little thought experiment first of all you have to pick a topic that everyone either wants to happen or people are afraid of happening, definitely afraid of happening. So, for example, the economic collapse we talk about uh, uh, quite a bit here on the program and uh, the different scenarios for that collapse playing out, it's something that people are afraid of. Take a topic like that, take something with a kernel of truth, for example, the uh, the inflation of the, the money supply and uh, the inflation away into nothing of the value of that money, and then imagine a situation that will play on that fear or on people's desires in that realm. So, for example, let's imagine a story about, oh, I don't know, Timothy Geithner just got arrested and he's being uh, held right now and he's going to be put on trial for uh, for his part in the criminal complicity of of bankrupting the country. It's something that people out there who aren't clued into what's really happening and understand that the banksters really are the, uh, the criminals and that they really do deserve to go to jail want to. To see happen and they want to see it so happen so much that they will often believe stories like that story that I just cited without bothering to check any of the facts or underlying details of it. So that's an example of something that you could do right now. You could create an article or a video just claiming, for example, that Geithner has been arrested and he's going to trial and the entire economic paradigm is coming to an end. And I can almost guarantee you, you will get tens of thousands of people talking about it and watching it basically overnight without bothering to check the details. And I use that example specifically because that's one example that has already happened before. Viral stories have gone around the world about Geithner and others being arrested when it didn't happen. So tonight we're going to break down some of these hoaxes and hypes and how they can get spread virally and how they work against the truth that we are attempting to spread here in the alternative media. Stay tuned right there. We'll be right back. Alright friends, welcome back to the program. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio for this special edition of the broadcast where we're going to be taking a look at some of the stories that have been propounded and spread around the world and uh, really gone viral online that in fact have turned out to be completely baseless and or just faulty or and or just hoaxes. And or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. There are a lot of different ways in which these stories get passed around and different reasons for that. But let's start taking a look at some examples of this. Because for example, we had that thought experiment there in the first segment where we talked about how to make a viral video by simply just making up some fact about some story that people are scared about or want to believe is true, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, sometimes it can happen just from from faulty information, just from being credulous to sources we should be incredulous. About it can be, uh, it can be simply mistakes. And so I don't want to impugn anyone out there specifically with anything that I'm going to say tonight or any of these stories. Again, there are all sorts of different reasons why people get things wrong. So it is not to say that uh, just because a source gets something wrong, that uh, that that in of itself invalidates everything that source ever says. It is usually a question, though, of how sources deal with things when they get things wrong. Because again, just like the just like the mainstream media, the alternative media sometimes spreads faulty information. And if it doesn't own up to that and actually admit when it makes mistakes and when it's got things wrong then what is it that we're fighting for? It can't be called a truth movement if we're not committed to spreading the truth, even if it goes against some of the things that we want to believe are so. And again, just to prove that I'm not on a high horse tonight and I'm not trying to uh, to single anyone out for any particular aspersions, uh, let me start by assailing myself and my own humanity and uh, the fact that I get things wrong consistently from you know time to time. I do my level best, but people have pointed out before stories that we've gotten wrong, and I do my best to correct them when when I, uh, in fact, find out that, yes, we got it wrong. So, for example, just as a quick example, the very first ever episode, the pilot episode of New World Next Week, back from October 11th, 2009, I cannot believe that's over three years ago now, but yes, back three years ago, myself and James Evan Pilato started New World Next Week. And on the very first ever episode, we covered a story from The Telegraph, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad revealed to have Jewish past. And this was talking about a photograph that was taken of Ahmadinejad showing his uh, his papers, I believe his passport or, or something, some, some some sort of identity card. And there's a photograph of this where it was very high resolution. And you could zoom in to, in fact, see that he had uh, previously uh, a, a different surname. It was not Ahmadinejad. It was Saburgian. And this was a uh, a Jewish name, meaning cloth weaver. So the Telegraph wrote about this, and they had a story about how Ahmadinejad, in fact, had a Jewish past, which kind of uh, throws uh, the, the entire Iran-Israeli tension into a very different light. And that's something that we talked about there on the first ever episode of New World Next Week. But uh, the very next week, October 15th, 2009, we had to throw in a uh, an alternative viewpoint, a different viewpoint on that story, because The Guardian came out in that intervening uh, few days. It was pointed out to us that they had come out with a story that directly went against that telegraph story. They had a story, Ahmadinejad, Ahmadinejad has no Jewish roots, and they go through in more depth into that name, Saburgian and where it comes from, and also uh, Ahmadinejad's matrilineal descent and how she, uh, his mother, that is, was in fact a descendant of one of the uh, original uh, uh, prophets of islam or or what have you and 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 because of this uh, obviously no no jewish blood from the mother's side and the father's side the subergian name came from a a, a farsi uh, term for for uh, fabric weaver or something, so it, it it completely refuted the telegraph story, and we put that in there as a way of saying, look, uh, it seems that the uh, the guardian has it right in this case, and uh, and that story seems to be wrong. Uh, or example uh, number two, for example, Corbett Report Radio episode number 45 it aired back on january 10th 2012 i covered a story again from the telegraph that said uh if you don't take a job as a prostitute we can stop your benefits and it was basically this story about how austerity is hitting in a number of countries and some in some countries they're even telling uh women that they can't refuse a job as a prostitute even in uh countries that have legalized prostitution because if they did so then they would not be eligible for their employment unemployment benefits Blah blah blah. Well, it was pointed out to me uh, in subsequent days that, in fact, that story from the Telegraph again was uh, highly faulty in its reporting and reported on uh, fictitious characters, etc. So I uh, retracted that in the subsequent episode of Corbett Report Radio and uh and again so it happens and and perhaps per- <laughs> the lesson to learn from this is never to trust the telegraph which you probably wouldn't be too far off if uh, if you took that as as a general rule but at any rate it does happen all sources including myself get things wrong get faulty sources of information interpret things incorrectly it happens people are human and when it happens and when it is pointed out that something is wrong i certainly hope that people will have the uh, the presence of mind to, to utterly refute and step away from things that have proven to be wrong and not double down on the lie by trying to back up what you have said so this is uh, this is something that again affects all sorts of different sources and all sorts of different people for many different reasons and i'm not going to again start calling people out for being conspirators for trying to pass off hoaxes etc I don't know. I don't claim to be able to read people's minds. All I can do is try to verify whether things are true or false for myself. And that's all that people out there can do. And that's all that I can ask from my audience is, once again, don't believe me. Don't listen to me. Go and check my sources and go and make your own conclusions. And we have to do that. There is no shortcut to truth. You cannot turn your mind off when it, when it comes to any source and just say, oh, the, this person's been right in the past, so I'll trust him now. Or, oh, this, this source I, I, I can't trust, so I'll never listen to anything they say. Again, each claim has to be weighed on its own merits, and uh, that's a, uh, it's a laborious process. But again, it's there is no shortcut to this process. We have to uh, examine claims on their merit. So let's take a look at a story that went viral uh, a few months ago. There was a big story about some GMO grass in central Texas that was off-gassing cyanide and killing cows. And there was obviously this story caught fire and was all over the alternative media very quickly. Lots of outlets picked it up and we're talking about this GM grass that was killing cows. Again, this plays into something that a lot of people out there already believe to be true. GMO crops and grass and all of these things are, are deadly. They're poisonous. Uh, they're bad for you. They're bad for the environment. They shouldn't be out there. Therefore, this story must be true. The only little problem with this story is that the grass in question, a specific breed of grass called Tifton-85 is not genetically modified. It is a conventional hybrid grass. There is no genetically modif- genetic modification going on. There's nothing in a laboratory with a gene gun. There's no splicing of salmon genes or whatever into this grass. Nothing of that sort. It is a conventional hybrid. This grass was bred from other grasses. They were bred together, and uh, they produced this. It is not genetic modification. It is not genetic uh, engineering. And, of course, the main thrust of this story in the alternative media was, well, GMO crops are all going to kill us. So I put out a, uh, a video towards uh, the end of June uh, uh, just warning people about the truth behind this story. So let's listen to a clip from that video. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here from CorbettReport.com. In the sunny climes of Western Japan, just taking a moment out of today's podcast episode, which I'm currently creating on AIG to talk about a story that's going viral right now, both in the alternative and the mainstream media, but unfortunately for the wrong reasons, with some wrong facts being reported, and I want to set the record straight so people don't go off half-cocked with incorrect facts, because, of course, those can be used to slap you in the face later to say, hey, look, you were incorrect, you were wrong, you're a paranoid conspiracy theorist. So let's take a look at this story, which, as I say, is going viral right now, and it sources back at least to this CBS News article, which has gotten quite a bit of traction. It says, GM grass linked to Texas cattle deaths, and if you read on, it talks about how this GM grass has been off-gassing cyanide, and the cattle have been eating it and dying. So this is obviously a pretty strange phenomenon and pretty scary. And it sources back to this Tifton 85 strain of grass. Well, one little problem about this Tifton 85, which they claim is GM grass. Well, in fact, in reality, oh, the, uh, the grass is not genetically modified. Well, I'll let you go and read through this article. I'll link this up. It has its sources back to Texas AgriLife, A&M, etc., talking about the creation of Tifton 85 back in the 1980s, how it's a regular hybrid. It has nothing to do with GM technology. And I just want to stop people from spreading false information about this story, because unfortunately, as I say, when we spread false information, that can be used to, uh, to basically slap us in the face later and say, you paranoid conspiracy theorists, you don't even know what what? Tifton 85 isn't GMO at all. Ha ha ha. So there are, of course, as my listeners will no doubt know, many good reasons to be very, very concerned about the GMO agenda. And perhaps you'll be familiar with books like this one, The Seeds of Destruction by F. William Engdahl, an excellent book detailing a lot of this uh, very strong information about why GM technology is a bad agenda, and there are definite reasons to be worried about it. And uh, for more on that, you can go to CorbettReport.com, of course, and you can just type GMO into the search bar here, and you'll get tons and tons of work that I've done in the past, radio episodes and interviews and videos, etc., that I've done in the past on GMO, documenting all of the various reasons why GMO uh, monstrosities are something that we don't want. But as I say, once again, you don't want to go half-cocked promoting things that are not true, this Tifton 85 grass that is apparently off-gassing the cyanide gas is not uh, GM at all, so we shouldn't be propounding it like it is. So once again, just uh, be careful what stories that you put out virally and uh, always check the sources and always check into information instead of just believing these knuckleheads in the mainstream media who were always deriding. Why would we believe them just because they write a headline saying GM grass? That doesn't make it so. So once again, think for yourself, investigate sources for yourself. On that note, I'm going to be back later today on CorbettReport.com with a very interesting podcast episode on AIG, obviously audio only. I hope you'll be there to download it. Talk to you later. All right, friends, welcome back. Welcome back once again. This is Corbett Report Radio, and we just were watching slash listening to, depending whether you're watching or listening to this radio program, a clip about GMO grass that was, uh well, it was going viral earlier this year talking about this GMO t- Tifton 85 grass that was off-gassing cyanide and killing cattle, and it was another sign of the GMO apocalypse, according to some of the outlets that picked it up. Turned out it was based on a mistake by a CBS ed- editor, or whoever wrote the headline for that particular story. And they eventually changed, uh, they modified the title because it turned out that the grass in question was not genetically modified. It was a simple hybrid grass, and it had nothing to do with genetic engineering. I included the link in the show notes for that particular video that we were listening to earlier. And uh, I'll include it again in the show notes for today's episode to Tifton eighty five Bermuda grass, where you can read about how it was developed as a hybrid between two other strains back in nineteen eighty three. Had nothing to do with uh, genetic engineering, but uh, there you go. And uh, and it was amazing. Even in the comments section, some of the people fighting back against this this fact that this was not a genetically modified organism. Some people quoting some of the uh, the, the the narrative of the creation of Tif- Tifton eighty five grass, even quoting quotes that say it is a hybrid from blah, 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 and blah, 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 and trying to tell me that that means that it's genetically modified. It was really bizarre that people were fighting back against it. Other people were saying, well, then if it's not genetically modified monstrosities producing this, then what is? Well, it takes all of about two minutes to find out what causes cyanide gas to off gas from grasses, and it's not... It's not completely uncommon. It's not unheard of. It's a phenomenon that happens. It's called prussic acid poisoning. So I'll include a link to uh, to an article about prussic acid poisoning and the ways that it can develop in Sudan grass and and other uh, sorghums and and other uh, crops that are. Um, uh, uh, that are out there in the sun, they they start to uh, to off gas cyanide, etc. It it does happen. It is a phenomenon that occurs. So again, it took me all of about five minutes to find that information on my own, and it, it amazes me that people were so resistant to that type of information. But it does speak to a very important part of this phenomenon. Again, this this cognitive bias that people have. Well, I'm against GMO. This story says it's about GMO, therefore I should believe it. And, uh, and that is uh, not a, a sound way to reason our way through arguments like that. Well, let's take a look at another example. Of course, as someone who has a website, FukushimaUpdate.com, where I am keeping an eye on what's happening at Fukushima, I am privy to a lot of emails from people who have, uh, who have stories that they send in, and I'm always grateful for that. And it was one night uh, just a couple of weeks ago that I was sitting here uh, working on some things for the website, and I got uh, an email about a story from an un- unnamed source. It was someone named John, who apparently lives near Fukushima, who was reporting on some fire at the plant that was causing unprecedented levels of radiation that the, the, the plant was basically exploding, everything was going nuclear, the world was going to end, and uh, radiation readings were going off the charts, but it was being covered up. Dun, 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 dun. So, of course, this plays into the narrative that a lot of people have, because, of course, we do know there has been a lot of cover-ups of radiation from Fukushima, etc. So a lot of people are already Primed to think that they already are primed to think that the world is ending at Fukushima. So, this story, of course, I got that original email, I looked into it, I looked at the radiation charts not only from the government but from independent sources like Safecast and others. That showed no particular spikes or unusual spike uh, radio radiation activity going on at Fukushima. As best I could see, there was absolutely no independent corroboration of this story whatsoever. So I assumed, well, this this might be someone who's reporting on something. But from what I can tell, there's no way to verify it. So we'll just have to put it in the question mark category. Within about an hour, I got at least half a dozen more emails from people linking back to this same story that was talking about this fire at Fukushima that was causing all of this problem. I eventually found that this was sourcing from a real story, and this is often how these types of viral stories get started. It started from a story, there was a fire at Fukushima Daiichi, it was 4,000 square feet near one of the reactor buildings on October 19th, and there was a TEPCO report about this. It was reported on widely in places like News.com and other places that are reporting on Fukushima, and uh, and there was little else that was talked about from that. And then this viral story started that there was a huge conflagration conflagration at the plant and everything was, uh, was blowing up, etc. And interestingly enough, that story did turn out to be a hoax. That wasn't happening at the plant. There was no big radiation spike at that time. It was totally unsourced and it came from someone who knows where and who knows how. But it did get spread virally. Trust me, sitting here, I saw how that was going around the web right at that time. But interestingly enough, a little while later, it comes out that that report, that hoax report and people spreading that hoax report covered up real information that was actually coming out from Fukushima the exact same time where it was found that TEPCO was hiding a crack in. In Unit 4, a crack in the foundation that was continuing to leak radiation into the ocean. This was a real story that people didn't bother to find out about because it wasn't being spread virally. So I have some more information that I'll link up in the show notes for tonight's episode. Uh, talking Arnie Gunderson addressing this in his podcast. And also another story that was going around at the time about uh, the ground under Fukushima 4 was actually sinking and sinking unevenly. So it was creating even more instability at uh, Unit 4, which is where a lot of the spent fuel is stored. So it is a huge concern, a real concern that was being ignored because people were spreading this viral story from an unnamed, unverifiable source that turned out to be a complete hoax about a fire at fukushima again it played on what people were thinking was likely to happen and it got spread virally without people checking into whether or not it was true so once again we have to be very careful about this because there are people who will play on people's fears and then there are people who just plain get things wrong and misinterpret the facts and we have to be better than that we have to rise above this and question what it is we're reading we'll be back with more right after this The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report Subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com slash support. Okay, friends, welcome back. Once again, we are here on this Wednesday night edition of Corbett Report Radio, and tonight we're talking about, well, some of the failings of the alternative media in, uh, well, just being human and falling prey to some of our human failings, such as cognitive biases and others that allow misinformation to spread virally, even while very true and very serious information flies completely under the radar. So again, just because it is alternative, just because it is independent, just because it is grassroots doesn't necessarily mean that it is 100% correct. And once again, there is no shortcut to truth. Unfortunately, we all have to do the hard work of checking into what we hear and finding out whether or not it is true and whether or not it is reasonable for ourselves. And here's another example of a story that has really garnered a lot of attention in the last few weeks. I think it's starting to die off now, but it was certainly going around and making the rounds just a week or two ago. And this is the story of this CNBC executive whose children were murdered. And this was tied into a story that CNBC reported uh that was there was a $43 trillion bankster lawsuit that was... uh going around. So the story here is basically that CNBC reported on this $43 trillion bankster lawsuit and the assumption is the banksters didn't like that so they killed his children and CNBC pulled the story. So it seems like a pretty cut and dried cover up, doesn't it? But when you start to look into the story and pull at its threads, it absolutely makes zero sense, even from the logic of what is being assumed and the different presumptions that it's working on. So, for example, the story itself uh, is comes from a PR newswire. This is not a CNBC report. It was not CNBC reporters who wrote this report. It was not CNBC that did anything other than take this story off of PR newswire and put it on the CNBC website. And PR Newswire, for people out there who don't know, is basically just a a Newswire service anyone can use it and put their stories up there and hope that various news agencies like CNBC will pick up their news story and put it on their website. Or, you know, maybe if you're really lucky, maybe some newspaper or something will come along and publish it for you. Oh, yay. And that's basically what PR Newswire is. It's not any sort of independent reporting service. It is people putting up things that they want and hope that the the media will, will put up on their site because they're too lazy to report on anything for themselves. And in this day and age, that's actually Probably a pretty good bet. But here it is. This is a PR Newswire, and I can even give you the actual PR Newswire itself, because it is still on the web. It is still on marketwatch.com, which is a subsidiary now of the Wall Street Journal. It's been swallowed up by uh, by Murdoch and his uh, growing media empire. And uh, so MarketWatch has it up on their site even today from October 25th, 2012, major banks, governmental officials, and their comrade capitalists, targets of Spire Law Group, LLP's racketeering and money laundering lawsuit, seeking return of $43 trillion to the United States Treasury. Now, If that headline alone does not clue you into the fact that this is not an independently written report by something like CNBC or the Wall Street Journal, then I think you might be paying attention. But just for some more indications of where this is coming from, we can read just the opening paragraph here. Spire Law Group LLP's national homeowners lawsuit pending in the venue where the banksters controlled their $43 trillion racketeering scheme, New York, known as the largest money laundering and racketeering lawsuit in United States history and identifying $43 trillion of laundered money by the banksters and their U S racketeering partners and joint venturers now pinpoints the identities of the key racketeering partners of the banksters located in the highest offices of government and acting for their own self interest. Now, You can go on and read this because, again, it is still up on MarketWatch.com. It has not been taken down. But it goes on to talk in similar language about the various banksters that are implicated in this lawsuit and the fact that it is a $43 trillion lawsuit to try to recover the laundered money that has been racketeered away in the enterprises of people like Attorney General uh, Holder and uh, John Corzine and uh, Vikram Pandit and all of these people who are named in this lawsuit and all the way up to the White House and Obama and and all of these people are are brought together now. Once again, using phrases like the 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 banksters and uh, the racketeering lawsuit uh, the, the, of the laundered money from the racketeers in their racketeering scheme in New York and the center of their stronghold, etc. This is not language that would ever be used in any mainstream media report, as we know. So this should be the tip off. This is a PR newswire. It was written clearly by or on behalf of this Spire law firm that is allegedly bringing this $43 trillion lawsuit against the banksters. And it was picked up probably almost automatically or with little editorial oversight by someone at CNBC as it was at marketwatch.com. But once again, CNBC is never going to publish a story talking about how the comrade capitalists are the targets of a racketeering lawsuit against the banksters. I mean, that's just not the language that would ever be used in CNBC. So this should be a tip off for one that this is not a CNBC report. The second part of this is the implication that this CNBC's children were murdered as a result of them publishing this story on their website, which again relies on a bizarre logic whereby if a website picks up a story about a lawsuit and publishes information about that story, their executive's children will be murdered, I guess as a way of trying to get them to, to pull the story. Well, I don't know. I mean, granted, I'm not sitting there in the seats of power. I'm not a bankster. But if I wanted to stop this type of thing from happening, wouldn't it make more sense to actually target the people in, for example, the Spire Law Group and the, the people who are bringing these lawsuits against the, the banksters? If they were killing people off because of this, why wouldn't they be targeting the people who are actually doing? Doing the lawsuit why would they be targeting the children of executives of companies that own a website that published a PR newswire of the story that is still available on other websites which also of course raises the question why weren't the children of the Wall Street Journal why why aren't Murdoch's children in, in jeopardy because uh, the Wall Street Journal published this on marketwatch.com why is it still available on marketwatch.com why has no one involved with this lawsuit uh, that we know of c- encountered any trouble re- with regard to the lawsuit lawsuit? lawsuit is it because the lawsuit is either in and of itself a joke which has been floated around some people think that the spire law group is in fact a fictitious entity created by the yes men and the yes men for people who don't know is a group of Comedian activists who go around creating fictional groups and pretending that they represent uh, various uh, companies, Union Carbide, etc. Famously, even spoofing BBC News, etc., try- convincing them that they spoke for Union Carbide and they were coming to a uh, an agreement about the Bhopal gas disaster and and other things like this. So it's been floated that this Spire Law group is in fact uh, just basically a joke, and the lawsuit is as well. But even if it isn't, and even if it is really true, the fact that the, a lawsuit has been filed. Does not mean anything at all in terms of what it's going to accomplish. And uh, you'll forgive me for being a bit incredulous that this $43 trillion lawsuit is actually going to to go ahead and it's actually going to create a a, a big problem for the banksters. I'm pretty sure that the people who are in control of this system kind of laugh themselves to sleep at night thinking about these types of stories. But again, the proof is in the pudding. If CNBC's executives' children are being murdered because they put up this PR newswire on their website, again, it begs the question, why isn't the Wall Street Journal uh, being targeted? And why is it still available online? Why do we know about this story? Why? uh, Why is why is nothing proceeding from this lawsuit so far? I mean, clearly, this is not the story that uh, that people thought it was. And again, I understand why this type of story gets spread so virally so quickly, and why so many people want to talk about it. But again, it is playing on things that we either want to believe or are afraid of happening. So in the case of Fukushima, you can make up completely unsourced and unverified a story about how everything's blowing up there and the radiation is spiking off the charts. And even if you go and show that to people and show them the radiation readings from independent sources that show nothing unusual is happening, people will still think, well, maybe there's some truth to it. And uh, and again, it's often out of pride and people unwilling to admit that uh, sometimes they've been fed a line and they just don't want to admit that to themselves. So again, we have to be Absolutely, not only diligent, but perhaps extra diligent, even hold ourselves to an even more diligent standard than the lying mainstream media that's constantly trying to sell us a bunch of bunkum and hooey and getting people to believe it. Well, if we want to profess to be part of a truth movement, why on earth do we not hold ourselves to the, at least the standard of not wanting to peddle anything that isn't the truth? And that was one of the remarkable things that I saw in the comments on my CMO, uh, GMO grass, Uh, video where I was talking about the fact that the grass is in fact not GMO. There was even one person who was making the argument, well, so what if it's not GMO? At least it'll get people thinking about GMO crops and things like this. Well, again, if you are want to be part of something calling itself the truth movement that will knowingly and, and willingly peddle things that they know to not be true in the name of getting people to wake up to the truth, that's not a truth movement that I even understand, let alone want to be a part of. So again, I think it, it's, it, it behooves us not to take these things too emotionally and not to get ourselves too invested in any individual story. We have to take each story as it comes and investigate its claims and see whether they hold any merit. And if it doesn't hold up to the basic principles of logic, if it doesn't hold up to uh, to anything resembling any sort of factual evidence, why would we go around promoting it? Well, there are a number of answers to that question. That is a question that has real answers. There are reasons that people actually go around promoting things that are not true and continue to do so even after they find out it's not true. So one of the things that I've talked about so far is cognitive bias. And this is, uh, you can go and look that term up and, and read about this, but basically everyone has cognitive biases. We all have a worldview through which we see, this filter through which we see the world. And that might may include things like uh, GMO is bad for for you and and other things that we have come to an understanding of. Usually, often from, from very good facts and sources and reasons for believing this. But it means that every time we encounter a new piece of information, we filter it through that filter. So that if it says, for example, well, I know that GMOs are, are bad for the health, for health and for the environment, and we see a story that seems to confirm that, we are more likely to believe it, and we'll even stick up for that story, even if it starts to fall apart right in front of our face. That's cognitive bias. Another way that this can play on us is that In a way, we are being conditioned to expect certain stories to be true and expect certain things to play out. Now, this is an important concept and one that was interestingly and I think very helpfully articulated in a podcast episode of the uh, uh, TransResistor Radio podcast. And that is the podcast of our good friend Aaron Franz of theageoftransitions.com. I suggest you go there to listen to this whole podcast. It's a conversation with our old friend Tom Secker. So Aaron Franz and Tom Secker are talking about a a wide range of issues in this conversation, which, of course, I'll link up in the show notes. But one of the things they're talking about are the ways that Hollywood uh, movies function to program us to expect certain things. And they're talking in the context of movies like The Matrix and Fight Club and this, uh, this recurring theme that comes up a lot in, in Hollywood these days of this big revolution that's going to happen usually through violence and, and how this, uh, how this plays out in our minds. So let's listen to a little clip from this podcast where Tom Secker and Aaron Franz are talking about this phenomenon and what it means in terms of how we're being programmed to expect an apocalypse. But again, we we have to note that the end result of both is similar in that it's just like the decay of the old and, well, the beginning of something new. That's the big theme. And that's what's going on in our time. So, you know, we're seeing all these fictional accounts of that idea being portrayed to us. Yeah, that's partly why we get so many disaster movies. And I quite like disaster movies. But, you know, um, we do. There are a lot of them. Um, we have seen society crumble in pretty much every imaginable way before it's, ha- before it's happened, if it even ever happens. Yeah. Which it might, you know, it might not. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the point is we've seen sort of e- almost every imaginable scenario um, already <laughs> in mass-produced format, and that's, that's kind of worrying. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I agree. You've got you to wonder, really you know what are they prepping us for if they are sort of deliberately prepping us for for all of this yeah um if anything it could just be again more philosophical or idea driven in that our minds are in uh, they've gone through disaster so they've seen what it is to have the old world be destroyed on a movie screen and therefore you you know they're like okay the, the world is destroyed in their mind once again, that's part of a much broader and very fascinating conversation between Aaron Franz and Tom Secker. And again, that's at theageoftransitions.com dot com, and I'll put the link in the show notes so you can go and check out their full conversation. But I hope people understand the implications of what they're talking about there and the importance of this concept. It's something that we've talked about here before, but uh, still, I think the idea is just so vast it's difficult to, to really comprehend and contain. But it is true that when we do subject ourselves to these, uh, these Hollywood scripts that, again, we're, we're being fed on a daily basis, or the uh, the television programming, or whatever it is, the, the type of entertainment fluff that just permeates the culture so that it's probably impossible to avoid completely, what these stories again and again and again try to hammer into our brain are the different types of social norms and different expectations of the way the world is supposed to work that really do start to shape our perspective and our understanding of the world itself so that, for example, just a few years ago, Fox uh, came out and basically bragged about how they were inserting green messages into their programming into all of their programming, The simpsons and their their comedy shows and their their more factual shows and blah blah blah. everything that they do had this green message inserted into it, so uh, just as subtly sometimes, just a little mention here and there of recycling or whatever it was, but that was being actually thought of, that was being done as part of a, a, a campaign, a concerted campaign to try to instill green behavior in people. And uh, I think we'd have to be naive to think that all of the various disaster end-of-the-world apocalypse movies that have been coming down the line one after another for year upon year upon year and been building up in our psyche like so much flotsam and jetsam are not being used to try to program us to expect a certain vision of the world and to to actually, in a way, start to almost desire that end-of-the-world scenario, when it's something starts to become an in- inevitability, something that we can't even imagine not happening, our mind starts to not only accept it and to expect it, but in a way to almost desire it, to get it out of the way. Well, it's coming. I'm getting prepared for it. We should just have this out. Because, again, it would be so much easier if this was all just one big battle that would happen on some battlefield somewhere, and we could go and fight and maybe die, maybe win. But whatever it is, it would be over, and we could just go back to our lives as normal. But unfortunately, this is a world that is being constructed around us, that is being woven into the fabric of our reality, on the geopolitical and the economic, in the social spheres and it is something that consumes our entire lives and when we keep expecting and, and hoping for that apocalyptic event that will change the world and give us a chance maybe to fight back etc etc again we start to play into this so that we are more susceptible when hoax stories come along that, uh, that threaten that end of the world scenario well you know Fukushima is on fire just trust me don't ask any questions about this information and if you raise any questions then you are just, uh, you're just you're just sticking up for the cover-up or whatever people will allege. Again, once again, we can be played in that way because the people who are in control of this and who are disseminating information know about these problems and these cognitive biases and these expectations that we all have. So it's a very, 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 very big system. We're not going to solve it all here tonight on the program, but I hope we can at least start broaching this conversation about how we can start to come to a more truthful understanding of the world and uh, in the alternative media ourselves, how we can hold ourselves to a higher standard. Okay, friends, welcome back. Once again, this is Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight, we've been having a serious discussion about truth and falsity, about hoaxes and hype, and how, unfortunately, the wrong information, false information, misinformation, disinformation, can be spread and can attain viral status very quickly. And unfortunately... I, I don't know if this is always true, but I think I'll go with this for now. I think it is true that uh, that uh, uh, misinformation and disinformation is probably far more likely to go viral very quickly than real information. And that's because real information usually requires a lot of diligent research and requires a lot of getting to the, the bottom of, of different facts and putting things into context. Whereas a simple short story about, oh my God, this has just happened, everything, the world is ending, will likely get people's attention very quickly and get people to share it very quickly. So as, unfortunately, our society is more and more dominated by these types of soundbite issues and stories and things of little consequence that bubble up and basically dominate the social conversation and go away very quickly, unfortunately, that's the type of story that's more likely to be spread and uh, spread far and wide. So again, unfortunately, I guess the ultimate uh, conclusion that we can arrive at tonight is simply the fact that there is no shortcut to the truth; that it is a laborious and time-consuming process to to make sure that the facts that we're going on are true, that they're correct, that they're verifiable, that they fit together in a context that makes sense. And that uh, we can at least adequately explain to ourselves the basis for any given story that we'd like to promote to others. And if we can at least hold ourselves to that standard, then I think we would be making some definite progress. Again, I am absolutely no fan of the lying corporate mainstream bought and controlled paid for media. But uh, that does not mean that the alternative media, independent grassroots as it may be, is necessarily uh, correct in everything it says. Of course, humans are humans. We will make mistakes. But it's a question of realizing that fact, doing our best to try to correct things that uh, that we know to be wrong, trying to to limit cognitive biases and other things that might influence our perception as much as possible. And in the end, if we are wrong, to just fess up to it and to uh, to repudiate anything that we know to be false else. And again, it is uh, it is sometimes thankless work, and uh, it's a lot easier just to go around spreading uh, false uh, panic about a lot of different issues and spreading false information. But uh, but again, this no one said this was an easy uh, thing to do. So once again, I'm not putting myself up on a high horse. I am absolutely as privy to this as anyone else. So I hope that you out there are being critical of all sources. And critical doesn't mean that you you hate or you you point accusatory fingers at people or that you uh, you hold them Uh, as as some sort of secret agents or whatever if you find that they've made a mistake. It means simply that we question the information we're hearing. And you can still have your favorite sources of information and people that you turn to that you think are reliable, but that doesn't mean that there's an off position on your critical inquiry button that you can just uh, put yourself to sleep and just allow uh, any information to pass through those filters. Again, you have to start developing habits of checking into information, at the very least checking into information before you go around spreading it to other people. And again, if we can start to head off some of these viral hoaxes, at the very least we'll be making some progress. All right, that's it for tonight's uh, heavy conversation about hoaxes and uh, misinformation. But tomorrow night we will be back. I will be live covering whatever news is breaking across the newswires tomorrow night. We'll also have open phones, so if there's anything you'd like to call in about tomorrow night to discuss, the phones will be open. So on that note, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you again 23 hours from now.